everybody. Thank you so much for inviting me to share with you this morning. Am I on okay? I, George asked me to do that. Okay. Anything else? I'm all set to go. Great. I have been having such a great time here at Tyndall. I've only been here a couple of times before. Just a wonderful, welcoming community. Um, got air conditioning. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm just so impressed. The tech, tech people, the IT people have been so helpful and uh, fantastic students, uh, great coffee, just nothing but good things to say. So I'm so grateful to be here and so grateful for this chance to share with you. I've been teaching a class on children's ministry um, this week. And uh, so when I was invited to share in chapel, uh, they asked me if I'd think of picking up some of those themes. And I thought, of course, I brought a prop. I had planned to bring a little box I have at home that I've sometimes used in this um, context, but I forgot it. So I found a wonderful biodegradable cup and napkin and a hair elastic in my room. Hair elastic was mine. And I have something in this contraption that I, I sometimes considered a liability, especially in my own Anglican tradition. We talk about this a lot as a liability in the church. But I want to argue this morning that what I have in here is one of the potentially greatest strengths of the church. I wonder if anybody would like to guess what it is. If you're in my class, I won't let you guess because you've gotten to know some of my themes by now. You'll probably get it right and steal kind of where I'm going. Anybody want to take a guess what could be in here? Okay, we're going to leave it here as a mystery. I'm not going to tell you yet. Because um, I want to talk about a story, one of my favorite stories in the Bible from Luke chapter 2. Uh, one of the few stories that we have about the childhood of Jesus. My apologies, because I'm going to take a particular slant on this. There are a, a lot of things going on in this passage. I'm going to look at it through the lens of a parent. In this story, Jesus and his parents go from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the Passover. It's the story of Jesus is 12 years old. And I have not one but three 12-year-olds at home right now. So I feel a special connection to this story. On the way home, they get separated. This is not necessarily a problem, except that the distance from Jerusalem to Nazareth is about 70 miles. So this is the distance. Toronto people, can you do this? Kingston to Brockville is what we're talking. I don't know if you can get your heads around that. Maybe center GTA to what? Oshawa? I don't know. It's far. It's far. We learn in the story that a full day passes before Mary and Joseph start wondering where Jesus is. A full day passes. They start checking in with relatives and the wider community and finally realize their kid is missing. When we read this story through our own cultural lens, we see parents who walk halfway from Kingston to Brockville before they even realize their kid is missing. Our reaction is to put in a quick call to social services <laughs> to get these parents checked out. Don't we? <laughs> but in Jesus' cultural context, the web of community is so strong that Mary and Joseph simply trust that the community is going to hold their child. 
So when Joan kindly invited me to share this view this morning, um, we thought intergenerational community might be a good thing to talk about. And I love this topic. I think it is one of the most important theological and practical issues facing the life of the church today and one of the greatest potentials we have in the church. All of my class will know this is one of my favorite things to talk about. We've been on about it already for the last day and a half. Often in the church, instead of celebrating the gift of intergenerational community, we segregate our ministries by age, by interest, thinking if we do something that will attract the youth, we'll have a better chance of keeping them in the church. And while this model is commendable for its desire to connect with young people, what it often does is inadvertently to cut our young people off from the worshiping life of the church and the church family. You've seen this. <laughs> it's no wonder then that when these young people grow up, they have no sense of what it means to be a mature Christian adult living out a life of faith in the church. And that's what we want for them, right? Not just to have a good Sunday school or a big youth group. We want to help nurture them through the whole of their childhood and adolescence to mature Christian adulthood. We want that whole trajectory, not just one year at a time. There's an outstanding book, which I think is in your bookstore. This author sure is, Mark DeVries. It's called Family-Based Youth Ministry. And he observes that more than any other time in history, contemporary Western youth are isolated from the adult world. And when we do this, we deprive them of the opportunity to learn mature adult values through dialogue and meaningful relationships and mentoring and collaboration. There are significant repercussions to this kind of isolation because teens do not learn what they need to learn to be healthy, mature adults from their peers or from the internet. I wanna have a quick survey. How many of you have teenagers? or have raised teenagers and they're now launched. Okay, quite a few of you. How many of you have taught them to drive? Okay, we talked about this a bit in my class this morning. If we really want our teens to drive, let me guess, you give them the keys and you say, go on YouTube for a bit, check out with your friends, have a talk about how you feel about driving, then take her out for a spin and let me know how it goes. Right, that's okay. It's not what we're gonna do. We go with them. We mentor them, we drill safety guidelines into them, and we carefully help them navigate something exciting yet potentially dangerous. Making sure they have all the tools they need to succeed and to thrive. And they're not gonna get this from YouTube, and they're not gonna get this from their peers, as important as their peers are. We don't always do this intentional mentoring with life. And we don't always do this intentional mentoring with the Christian life. The reality is our teens are not going to learn the skills mature adults need to thrive by Google or Wikipedia. What they need are meaningful interactions over the long haul with you, with mature Christian adults who know them who pray for them, and who invite them to share something of life and of ministry, of suffering and joys and struggles and challenges together. DeVries writes this, 
but denying our young people opportunities for this kind of involvement with adults. Our culture sends many youth into the adult years relationally, mentally, morally, and spiritually unprepared for the challenges of adulthood. Anecdotally, I've seen this time and time again. One of my ministry positions is at Queen's University as one of the chaplains, and I see people launched, the best and the brightest, into adulthood. They're 18, 19, and they get to university. They have no idea how to begin living in the adult world because they've never had people walk alongside them to do this, and it's so vital for them to have. I want to go back to our story about Jesus. You remember? The parents are realizing Jesus is missing. Uh, if you don't remember how it ends, well, you just heard it. It's in Luke chapter 2. There's a happy ending, but if you're those parents, there's also a bit of a cliffhanger. George read it. I wonder if you remember. Do you remember how long goes by before Mary and Joseph find Jesus? Anybody's parents' years go off and say, whoa. How long did it take for them to find him? Three full Days. I imagine a very distressed Mary and Joseph finally getting to the temple, and there Jesus is teaching. I wonder if you've ever lost your child in the mall, or Canada's Wonderland, or Canadian Tire. <laughs> you relate to Mary at this point. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this, or paraphrases this in the message. He puts her words like this. Young man, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. I told you I have three 12-year-olds. One of them, Hannah. <laughs> she does this all the time to us. I quote probably this passage in Scripture more than anything else to her. Young lady, why have you done this to us? We've been half out of our minds looking for us, for you. She gives us an answer very similar to Jesus. Why are you looking for me? <laughs> Isn't it obvious where it would be? 50 feet up that tree or down by the creek or <laughs> in my little hole in the basement. <laughs> it pulls you, turns you gray. But Jesus says, of course, of course, I would be in my father's house. It's obvious. There's a lot to talk about here in terms of Jesus revealing something of who he is, his identity as God's son. But make no mistake, any parent who has lost a child can relate to this passage in a unique way. Uh, the next verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 50 is great, because um, we've got these parents who are trying their darndest to do what's right for their kid. And um, Jesus says, why are you looking for me? Of course I would be in my father's house. And Luke says, says um, they had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> I relate to this. <laughs> Any parents of adolescents, you don't know what your kid is talking about. You're not alone. <laughs> and I tell you this story not because I want to draw into question the parenting strategies of Mary and Joseph, but because this is the kind of web of community that I dream of and that I pray for, for not only the children in the church, but for all children. Because remember, for the whole first day, these guys didn't bat an eye. They knew that their kid was okay and that he was held in this community that loved him. And I really believe not only watched out for Jesus, but that watched out for all the children. I imagine what that would be like to be in a context where I knew that if my kid was gone, they were taken care of. I didn't need to call 911, that they were held. 
I pray that our children will experience a web that is spun by loving adults and that holds them in prayer, practical help and love, and that when they are lost, the whole community will not stop until they are found. This whole village raising a child is a profound model for us as a church. Our young people who are growing up in a fast-paced, overstimulating, over-sexualized, consumerist culture need us. They need this web of support, this gift of being known and held in God's family. They don't need to be separated off here, going to Canada's Wonderland with the youth group. They can do that, that's fun. But what they really need is to belong to the family and to be known by everyone in the church, everyone. They need to be known and held by the adults in the church. Studies show that predictors of which teens will grow into mature Christian adults is not how often they attend youth programs, but either if they are raised in a family that modeled Christian adulthood or are connected with adults in the church community so strongly that they become an extended family. The goal of our youth, of our ministry to young people is not to have these large programs, but to have our young people moving through teenage years to mature Christian adulthood. And with that in mind, I'm gonna open my box. Inside, I have what I think is one of the greatest strengths of the church, if I can find it. I don't know if it's still in there. Oh yeah, there it is. Can you see it? It is a lovely gray hair. I bet you guess where it came from. Can speculate. It's actually one of my own. I plucked it out this morning just for you. <laughs> Thanks to my 12-year-old daughter who always seems to be disappearing. <laughs> I, I turned gray from it. After the gospel and the Holy Spirit in our midst, I believe that the gray hair among us, in combination with the youngest baby in the nursery and, and if everyone in between, is one of the biggest gifts that the church has to offer the world. We are an intergenerational community, folks young and old and everything in between. Something that was once second nature in the world around us is now becoming an endangered species. As families no longer live near each other and we self-segregate into groups by age, the church is becoming one of the last places in the modern world where there really is the potential for intergenerational community. Community in all of its complexity and messiness is one of the main tools that God uses to help us discover forgiveness and grace and hope. And when we invite our young people into the raw reality of community, we are inviting them into the place where they and all of us can best figure out and discover what it means to be followers of Jesus. The world around us cries individualism. We are addicted to self-autonomy and personal satisfaction. But this resurrection life that Jesus calls us to is not an individual project. project. We are a people of God, and we cannot live holy lives, resurrection lives as individuals. We are not a self-defined community. We are a God-defined community. And the love that God pours out for us and in us creates a community in which that love is reproduced in our love for one another. The intergenerational community of the church that embraces the full spectrum of life from birth to death when we can finally complete our baptismal vows is one of the greatest gifts 
that we have to offer to the world. George mentioned, or I mentioned, that I work at St. Jane's Church in Kingston on the campus of Queen's University and in the area of children and youth ministry. And one of the privileges of my job is that I get to hear a lot of stories. I often say I collect stories. After our young people graduate, they travel the world, they go to grad school to buy time, they settle into regular jobs, they often come back and they tell me about their time at St. James and what changed their lives. We have a rector who is a very gifted teacher, um, and I tease him about this because they never, ever have told me the teaching at St. James really changed my life. <laughs> and we have a lot of Bible studies, and they never come back and say, the Bible studies have changed my life. What they tell me, although those things are important, is that the transforming power of God through the life of the community changed their lives. And I have a hundred stories about what it looks like that I won't tell you. It looks like people who shared their lives together have brought soup to them when they were sick, who have learned their names and said hello to them at church, um, taken them in when their apartments have flooded or when they've been exams and really stressed out, walked with them as they have journeyed from being teenagers into the adult world. I find this very exciting, because if we tried to be a very cool, snazzy ministry, I think we'd fail. But being exactly who we are, just a bunch of people trying to work it out together, that is where we're able to thrive in meeting the needs of our young people, just living life together, and I love that. I believe that nurturing these intergenerational connections in our church is one of the single most important things we can do to nurture long-term faith in our young people because they live in a very complicated world and the culture around us doesn't give them the tools that they need to navigate it. They need us, they need us to surround them with stories of faith, with mentoring, with connections, and with the deep sense that who they are matters and that they belong to the family of God. They need to know that they are not on this journey alone and that there is more help for them out there than their peers, which are important, or than the, what they're going to get from the internet. I believe the Holy Spirit changes lives in this way by connecting us with one another. And this is win, win, win. Again and again, I hear the adults who I've invited into this kind of ministry to be a part of a young person's faith formation in Christ. They say to me, Thank you. That was the most important thing I've done in years. I have grown so much in my relationship with Jesus. I received so much more than I gave. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me into this. This shouldn't surprise us. This investing in one another, this in receiving more than we ever imagined in our giving. This is the economy of the kingdom of God. A few minutes ago in my class, we watched a video um, by a guy named Josh Shipp who says, every young person is one adult away, one caring adult away from being a success story. All the young people in our churches and all the young people not in our churches, I believe that every one of them is a caring adult away from being a success story. I wonder whose life God is calling you to invest in. I wonder what teenagers and young people we know need a caring adult in their life. And I wonder what you and what your church ministry can do to make those connections. 
I invite you to think about that, and I would love to know what you would come up with. I believe there's deep truth in that. Every young person is one caring adult away from being a success story. My dear friends in Christ, I thank you for taking children and youth ministry seriously in the church for your passionate investment in that. And I pray God's blessing on you. May the peace of the Lord be with all of you um, throughout the rest of the day, throughout this week, throughout summer school. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you always. Amen. Thank you.